I'm ready for the um, Young Grand prequel series. Is there one? No, no. I'm, I'm saying oh. I'm calling for that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was like so excited. So I really like the character, second. right? Yeah, she's great. She's got great hair. Yeah. I mean, like. Really does. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Geek Chew, a podcast where we chew over the geeky things that we love. I'm Eamon. And I'm Charlene. And our intro music is by my brother Ryan. And this week we're going to talk about episode eight of WandaVision. We watched the new Billie Eilish documentary on Apple TV Plus, And we also watched Promising Young Woman. Yes. And then, what was the last thing? Oh, right. The book, Once in Future by Kieran, Kieran Gillen, Gillen and Dan, Dan Mora. Mora. Tamara Bomb from uh, Boom, Boom Studios. Boom Studios. Yeah. yeah, we don't read a lot of Boom. No, we don't. They do have like some things that are. Well, there was like um, Atomic Robot or. Oh yeah, it? I Ro- mean we've definitely read things. A few things, but yeah. I would not be able to list them off the top of my head. But I mean, before we get into that stuff, what what do you, what do you got? I messed up when we said about things that I was reading, and I called the book Milkman. I have read a book called Milkman. It was the Booker Prize winner like a few years ago. But the book that I was talking about was Ice Cream Man. And I blame you for not rec- uh, not correcting me. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I didn't read either one of those things, right? <laughs> yeah, but you know, you're the brains behind this operation. Oh, well, we're in trouble. <laughs> um, and then that's pretty much it that I've been doing. I haven't done a whole lot. Uh, you know what I did? I rewatched National Treasure and National Treasure 2. I did was, watch most of the first one with you. a fantastic And the end of the second one. I love those movies. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. I think it really says something about my taste in movies where I'll watch National Treasure 1 and 2 for the 20th time before I put on something like The Godfather, which I've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I don't know why you keep rejecting this like plan I have to write all the movies that we really need to see on a piece of paper and put them in a jar and just like randomly draw them and like just actually make ourselves watch them. And I think it's because there's some movies you really just don't want to have to watch. Yeah. I just have to be in the mood to watch certain movies. Yeah. But we're never going to be in the mood to watch these movies. And if we want to get them watched. Look, I like my autonomy. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) the only other thing I had was uh, we were potentially going to talk about this stray dogs book that I picked up from the comic book store which is a new image book that, uh, I mean, it looked funny. It looked, the the cover was uh, eye-catching, a very cartoony book about dogs, but it was Silence of the Lambs. And the back had like a, a blurb from Brian Michael Bendis saying, uh, you know, sometimes you just don't know you want something until, until it's right there in front of you, something like that. He really enjoyed it, whatever. Um, I read it. We're not gonna we're not gonna talk about it. <laughs> right. I'm a little bit worried about Brian Michael Bendis. <laughs> and I don't know. It was just it wasn't wasn't my cup of tea. But when I went to the comic book store I had it in my hands, I was walking around looking at other stuff and the girl behind the counter was talking to somebody else and uh started talking about this book. She didn't know I had it in my pile. She started making jokes about furries and 
uh, <laughs> who would read this book. And so, you know, I mean, I just decided to confront that head on, just brought it up and say, uh, yeah, it's a pretty silly book, but the cover was just, you know, so enticing. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't know how else to handle it. I, right. maybe, you could have just maybe, made her feel awkward. <laughs> yes. Just, just put it, put it on top of the pile, should, yes. thrown it down <laughs> and yeah. been like, Mm. <laughs> or sit it down like really slowly in front of I've been me. looking forward to this book for eight months now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not a recommend. So, I don't know. Yeah. Do you um, want to get into WandaVision? Yeah, let's just go ahead and, and talk about the show that I said only has... Yes, it's the penultimate... It's the penultimate episode. It's previously on is the title of the episode. and Apt as far as theme for sitcoms but it's also the first episode where there is no sitcom no it's not the first episode that there's no sitcom the first episode that there was no sitcom was the one where we see what's going on outside of westview where they bring in darcy oh yeah there's no um so the first one inside of westview with no sitcom doesn't matter yes i would say yes yeah so i mean the previously on is just they're jumping through uh wanda's life you know, basically, Agatha's trying to figure out how she has channeled yeah, the, how the she's power able to. to to create this hex. And it was a really great episode, I thought. Yeah, I'm really glad that they actually had like a, a plausible reason why she was creating a sitcom world, like specifically with sitcoms, because that was kind of like, does this have a point? As far as like why it's a sitcom versus something else. So I'm glad that that was like addressed and not just. Yeah, I thought that was great that it was all tied into Wanda's experience throughout her life. Right. Right. Her experience as a child in Sokovia and watching sitcoms with her family. And we got to see the scene play out that first comes up when they're introduced as characters in Ultron where the Stark missile comes and sits in their living room and they're there for two days just hoping that it doesn't that it doesn't go off that tony stark doesn't kill them and i i really found that whole part of the show pretty affecting just even just watching her face as a little girl watching the tv and how happy she was even in spite of their circumstance right something that they did together and they obviously watched like this had favorite episodes and watched the same things and and also how it brought into brought television into how she coped with other losses later in life and how she formed that bond with vision later. Um, I thought all that was really good because I didn't know, I I didn't know how they were going to make it seem like, or how they were going to justify the sitcom stuff just in general. Um, So I really dug that. Yeah. I also really like the fact that they, I mean, the, the episode starts with Agatha back in the Salem Witch Trial times, and she's a witch that has been alive for 400 years, whatever, kind of introducing more magic into the MCU. But I, I really like that they set Wanda up as a witch before any kind of enhancement. Right. Through the Infinity yeah, Stone. that was interesting, too, um, because, you know, she's a mutant, right? In the comics. Uh, in the comics, yeah. So because of proprietary stuff, they couldn't have that when they did Ultron. So, but I, you know, just looking at stuff about, about the episode and all the different, even just the different colors of magic in, in the MCU. Now there was obviously Dr. Strange is everything's orange and Agatha was well, purple. And green. And yes. When he uses the stone. Yeah, I guess mm-hmm. so. But I looked up a, an article. I was trying to find out more about 
chaos magic because it comes comes up as very you know prevalent to the uh the kind of magic that wanda has harnessed because of her ability plus the infinity stone and you know the chaos magic is red and um the purple is like dark magic from agatha and there was some blue blue magic magic from from the witches witches. that she siphoned yeah and i don't know when i was looking that stuff up it occurred to me how how good an idea it was of of disney to release these things as every week as opposed to dropping them all as most people including myself have complained uh previously just because it really stays in the consciousness and carries over from week to week and everybody's talking about it and so much conjecture and right uh, i I mean i read an article a more fun viewing experience long term yeah and i read an article on men's health about like chaos magic (laughs) (laughs) okay that's an interesting tie-in yeah just because it came up and there was just, I don't know, there was so much in the episode from her enhancement through the Infinity Stone, which I don't know how the Infinity Stone also enhanced Pietro um, if she survived because of her magic. Well, uh, maybe she just helped him survive. My, my thinking here was, I just assumed, they're like, okay, we got our twin brother. She survived. He'll survive. Let's test it out, too. And they tested it out on him, too. That's my, I mean, right. but we but don't why see why did he survive? Because they said they had tested it on a bunch of other people and they had all died. Well, because they're mutants. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But every other person who had gone in there. Right, because they just got all regular people. Right. Those normies. And we also got another look at the sword facility and how she didn't really steal Vision's body. And you find out why she's in Westview because of the house that they were supposed to have built yeah. there. And the pale vision or white vision at the in the is that stinger. is that like in the comics too it is yeah he's is that so you know just like a lot of other things in the mcu it's kind of loosely based on something right, that right, right, right. happened so it's you know at one point vision was torn down into different pieces and reconstructed and when he came back he was you know he had lost all the color and had no memory of his former self and eventually part of some Avengers team as the white vision and uh, can't wait to see what they do with the last episode. Very interested to see how they wrap it up. It's supposed to be in like 50 minutes and it seems like they could just do a whole movie yeah, and still not, get, still not get everything in. And I don't know. It's right, cause this use, isn't like slated for another season or anything. Right. No. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And even at the end there, they finally actually Agatha calls her the Scarlet Witch and they, kind of make it out as she's not exclusively the Scarlet Witch. It seems like it's kind of a greater entity or being that only comes around once in a certain amount of time, a a Hmm. being so powerful that they have the uh, ability to spontaneously create whatever. Like she created Vision and her two kids. (laughs) Right. And I don't know. It looks good. Yeah. Or it was good. I'm excited. like it's going to be good going forward. <laughs> right. I'm very uh, into the um, the Marvel TV shows. Uh, did you have anything else for WandaVision? Or? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, no. Do you want to talk about the Billie Eilish documentary? Yes. The World's a Little Blurry, which is on Apple TV+. And I always find it hard to say those words. I'm always unsure of the order, I guess. Oh. Which is strange. Yeah, it is. It just doesn't roll off my tongue. Yeah. It is strange. What you think? <laughs> of the documentary? That's right. Um, I really liked it. Uh, it showed a lot of stuff about her. I mean, I'm not like a, a 
mega fan or anything. I do really enjoy her music, but it showed some good stuff about just her family support and how she's who she is. And I thought it was interesting. It seemed like she's very self-aware, especially for such a young person. And, you know, of course, you have to frame that in a, she's a teenager, you know, so, but, you know, for a teenager, she's pretty self-aware about who she is, what she wants to do to create just all of those aspects of her life. And, you know, as a musician and, you know, yes, she's an artist, but she's also like, she loves Justin Bieber and he, he's not, there are a lot of artists that, um, that come out and they like think that like the poppy stuff is selling out or whatever. And I thought it was great that that's like her, her story. Yeah. Yeah. I read a New York times review of the movie that called, I read it to you last night. It said something about Justin Bieber. It keeps popping up as a, some kind of uh, deity. <laughs> there was a there was a descriptor in front of the word deity that made it much funnier. Yeah, but I don't remember what it said. But yeah, I, I was just surprised at the structure of the movie. I guess and how early it started filming when she was recording her first album. Like at first, I thought it was just very strange that this family was taking home videos of everything that was going on because of mm-hmm. the point in which it entered her life. Uh, I was like, why would a documentary crew be filming her when she hasn't even released an album? I assume mm-hmm. that she had a lot of buzz from internet uh, fame before that. And yeah. so somebody was like, I think we should get in here and, and see what becomes of, of this uh, first attempt. Right. And I mean, I'm not sure who's taking the videos, but it seems like it, it's someone who's close to the family if it isn't a family member, right? And I feel like that there's another sibling that maybe we don't because we're not huge fans that's like kind of popped in and out but well i don't think so i think it was because there's a guy who directed it i think it's i think it was all him and that's what i'm saying i was so surprised like it kind of seemed more of a professional filmography kind of deal the further on it got Mm -hmm. but i think it was him the whole time and that they were just filming this whole process interesting which was really fun to watch like you said you know, the, as a family, they're very, um, seem very tight and yeah. just working at home with her brother to produce this album that won whatever six Grammys. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Yes. I like a lot of what it has to say about, you know, indictment of the media and her public persona versus who she is. And, you know, this sort of perverse obsession that people have with with celebrity and how it can really like mess a person up, especially young people. And, you know, there's like a scene where she's just like, I just want to have like one moment. And, you know, she gets criticized for being like rude in a, in this moment by someone who wasn't even there. And it's like, well, yeah, she's a kid and maybe just doesn't want to have to take pictures with a bunch of executives, you know, like yeah. for like one day, like, is it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought, that she was uh, very, very together for a person of her age in in dealing with that stuff, and also self aware of her like anxiety and, yeah. and depression issues and, and yeah, how and she see, deals with those things and yeah, her a lot of her mental health and physical health, um, mm-hmm. you know, that I don't, I don't, journey. Don't want to, yeah, journey. <laughs> I didn't want to say issues, but it was it was pretty intense at some points, and it was just I think it was just a really interesting documentary as far as there's like no narrative and no not no no interstitials like there were people talking to the camera and i mean it all seems very um 
organic and, and everything, yeah, but it was I also, agree. I think you can tell it was tightly controlled by not only the director, but I'm sure like the record company label that's relying on her as an artist and all the sales and whatever money they're going to make off of her. But uh, I don't know The I just, I really liked watching it and I would watch it again just to like listen to the music as, it, <laughs> as the yeah. movie's playing, you know? I just I, I thought it was I thought it was a lot of fun. I don't know if you have anything else on it, but no, I thought it, I thought it was a really good watch as well. There's a lot of good stuff in there. What else do we watch? Promising Young Woman. Yes. Oh gosh. Renting this movie. Oof. Definitely worth paying to rent it. It was an intense thrill ride. <laughs> <laughs> That's your official review. Um, it was intense. I, I guess thrilling is maybe not the word, but it was it was. Um, suspenseful emotional so dark and i really liked it yeah it was written and directed by emerald fennell this is her first full-length movie she had done a short and she's done a lot of writing she she wrote some of the episodes of killing eve i think maybe the second season i'm just going based off of the episode titles that i saw and i think it was the second season but she wrote like six episodes of that and this movie is is really something. It's got Carrie Mulgan mm-hmm. as the as the main character, kind of dealing with uh, the sexual assault and subsequent suicide of her friend when she was in medical school, and mm-hmm. she drops out. And I I don't know. I I think the movie does a great job at the start, just subverting expectations. Like I had seen uh, the trailer once for this movie so long ago, right? Yeah, it was a while ago, and I, I really thought it looked good. It looked like she was going out. And uh, pretending to be drunk, and then murdering and finding people. these nice guys and killing them, right? Right, nice guys, quote unquote. That's right. Not, obviously not nice. Yeah, but uh, and then you know, there's the scene in the very beginning where she's walking home from her first night out that we've witnessed, and it looks like she's got blood, you know, drip, dripping on her leg and down her arm, and really she's just eating this jelly donut. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and then and she comes across. I mean, the scene with the construction workers. It, all part and parcel yeah. of that walk of shame home where they're cat calling her and she just stops and stares and intimidates so it really gets you on her her side right away i think yeah but yeah i i really did enjoy the movie i was looking at some of the actual movie reviews mm-hmm. on, on rotten tomatoes none of them said thrill ride but <laughs> well i took it back yeah i know i walked it back <laughs> a little bit uh well you know reading some of these just one paragraph snippets <clears throat> or one sentence snippets. Uh, I realized that I had made some jokes about me being able to be a film critic based on some of the ones that we've read in the past. And uh, I, you know, Are you when I when I read off? some, well, I mean, it was a joke anyway. But I'm <laughs> making sure that everybody knows it was a joke because I wouldn't like write these words about this movie. I think it's also a matter of perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like the the first one, I so there's a lot of great reviews for the movie, but there were also some really critical ones. And this one was uh, Stephanie Zasharek at time. This lip gloss misanthropy packaged its feminist manifesto, clever, but not smart, cynical without, without being perceptive or particularly passionate. Women are angry for good reason. They also deserve better movies than this one. Really? Yeah. And I don't know. What does that mean? I think that's what I'm saying. Like I would, yeah. What does it mean? I mean, what? I guess I, I wish I, yeah, I wish I knew more of why she felt that way because I think ultimately it leaves you really sad about the state of the world. 
um, as far as, you know, equality for women and women being objectified and, and how nothing, how it's hard for anything to actually happen. Um, think, and that's a kind of a big truth, right? I mean, right. what, I wonder I mean, what a, she a didn't big, like about it. Yeah. I, I, it's I, interesting. I'm actually, I am interested to, maybe I'll go click on the article and I'll send you the link too. Yeah. I'd like, I'd like to read more, but it's the, the big sin of the movie is just when women aren't believed. Right. Yes. As far as when it comes to, you know, claims of rape and sexual assault and the people that, and the, and the guys that they pick to be the nice guys, quote unquote, that are, uh, present themselves as ready to take care of a girl who appears to be too drunk mm-hmm. are known for playing nice guys in, in, in movies like the dude from Veep. I wish I knew his name, but, uh, Adam Brody, mm-hmm. uh, Bo Burnham is kind of a different character in the movie, but ultimately, you know, has his flaws, obviously it was a, it was a good, he was great in the movie and it really uh, drew the, drew the kids in because they love his stand up. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like it's it's a problem with women believing other women as well. Women are oh yeah, they definitely attack that. Well, more if not, or you know, are equally cynical or disbelieving, um, if not more, yeah. you know, uh, than men because it's just been pounded into our brains since we were little. You know, it, it, we're just like ingrained. It's like our in our society to if a woman wears a, a dress that's figure fitting and whatever, she's, you know, just asking for unwanted attention, like, <laughs> you know, and um, yeah, I mean, it addresses that with the women in yeah. the, the movie as well. So. so this, this is also kind of a negative review point, but it's a lot easier for me to uh, parse what, what she was saying. <laughs> Cause it says it's Dana Stevens from slate. Uh, it's as if the movie wants to provide the audience with the satisfaction of a successful revenge plot while robbing its main character of everything the quest for vengeance was meant to give her in the first place. Right, but that's, that's a person that's just upset with the ending of the movie, right? Right. Well, because I think that that's sort of like a more realistic take that the director chose and the writer, you know, that yeah, writing like, this movie, it's like, okay. How, how can you possibly extricate these people from this situation in a in a way that's going to end happily, right? You can, you, you you, can't. yeah, you can't, and not I mean, with really, not with making the point about the world that she wanted to make, and right. that the that it's really just shitty out there as far as this goes. And you could tell that it was heading that way when I at like forty five minutes left in the movie, I said, "Oh, there's too much time left in this movie, right, uh, for anything good to happen." And um, yeah, that was correct. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was a great. Well, that's overselling it. It was an amazing kind of turn. And, you know, the way they wound up closing the loop on everything was sad, but I guess satisfying ultimately. Satisfying? I don't know if satisfying is the... What is the right word? um, True. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's hard because maybe I'm just so cynical where I'm like, yeah, uh, the good guys don't get to win. You know, like maybe that's just me. Cause what did we just watch recently? Oh, I care a lot. You know, bad guys just keep you know. on a winning. Yeah. Well, know. there was no good guy in there to win. So, right. <laughs> because that's the, life. <laughs> the last one that I, that I took was, uh, from Peter Travers at ABC news. And I took this one because, um, well, you'll see it's in filmmaker Emerald Fresnel's diabolically funny takedown of toxic masculinity. Carrie Mulligan gives a dynamic performance that should make her a front runner in the Oscar race for best actress. 
And the reason I took that one out was first, it was, it was a positive review. Uh, but the other is that the golden globes just happened last night and promising young woman got completely shut out. And I know that the golden globes are, or I guess I understand that there are many, many problems with the golden globes and the Hollywood foreign press that selects the nominees and the winners but it seems like regardless of whatever issues and corruption there are surrounding the Golden Globes, they do still have some kind of act as some kind of barometer for the Oscars. I don't understand why. Right. But I guess that doesn't bode well, maybe, for the movie. I thought her performance was so good. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you have anything else on the movie? No, I really liked it. I could watch it again. Yeah. I mean, it would be a tough watch, but I could watch it again. Yeah. It was... I had my hands on my cheeks it's, a lot during yeah. that movie. Yeah. yeah. At one point I looked over. Well, at one point, probably the last 10 minutes of the movie, Courtney was just had, I think a notebook or a pillow like behind his head and he was just holding it there, like stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was good. Uh, yeah. And I think it says a lot about the movie that in spite of those things, you'd still be willing to watch it again. Right. Yeah. I think the last thing that we had was once in future. Yeah. So I, found this because I'm I'm in a book club that you aren't in and we meet once a month and we ro- <laughs> you weren't invited um and we rotate who picks the book right um and you can pick whatever book you want except for the rules are something you haven't read before um and so my turn to pick was at the last book club meet and so we pay, play 20 questions to see if somebody can guess what the book is and the first question was is it a graphic novel or a comic book because i was like "Ooh, do you guys ever do this and none of them ever read comics well the reason i didn't pick a graphic novel was because all the ones that i want to share with people are ones i've already read right so i was just looking at lists online of like best new books or best books to introduce to somebody who hasn't read and this one came up on that list Uh, multiple times across different websites. Um, And I love Karen Gillan. I love stuff that I've read of his in the past, Young Avengers and Wicked and Divine. Yeah, and um, Die. I mean, he's written a lot of stuff, but Die we really liked. Yeah, I don't think I finished the whole thing. Did I? Well, I don't even know if we got... I think we did finish... I mean, I don't know if you finished reading it, but I I got all the issues of, of... the first volume, but I was thinking maybe of, cause it's still going. Oh yeah. But I think I did. I think I did read the first volume then. Maybe we should pick up subsequent volumes and see. Yeah. It was, really um, good. it was really good and fun. And one that, you know, we wanted Courtney to read too, but you know, it's impossible to get him to do anything like that. Well, we got him to read X-Men, uh, the powers of X house of X. Yeah. I guess he really true. liked it. Yeah. Uh, and Dan Mora, who we're not super familiar with, right. Right. But I had I, to, his art and this is is exactly the kind of art that i like yeah and he's done a lot of buffy comics and power mm-hmm. rangers comics and he did uh klaus with grant morrison which i have not read but i might now yeah uh, i mean <laughs> i like grant morrison this dude's art is really great but i i didn't know until today when i sat down to read i think the fourth or fifth issue that i just picked up he's also the artist on the um Future State Dark Detective comic that I'm reading, uh, written by Becky Cloonan, the yeah, yeah. You know, Bruce Wayne Batman in the Future State realm, whatever. Uh, so mm-hmm. he, he does the art for that. It's also good. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I love the colors too. And that's um, Tamara. Um, I'm guessing it's Bon Villain and not not all Frenchified. Mm-hmm. Bon Villain. But um, 
it, it could be either. The color is perfect for this book too. Like it's like one of those magical combinations of art and color and storytelling that just made me like just tear through the the the, the two, first two volumes. Oh yeah, so you you've read the whole second volume? Yeah, have you not? No. Oh, okay. So we're just doing number one then. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. 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 I I did see that the third volume is in this month's previews catalog. Yeah, we should just order. Well, I mean, I don't know. They had the first volume at the comic book store. I almost bought it, but that was like, I already, I just checked it out from the library. <laughs> right. Like, uh, no need to spend the, that money right this minute. Uh, Maybe but, we sh- could pick like one of our favorite covers from it and see if they have a single issue, for, issue. Our, for our wall. It was good. Uh, it's basically a reframing of Arthurian legend, right? It has this really fun blend of myth and history. Yeah. Um, I guess it's kind of... I mean, they've talked about it being like an allegory for Brexit and, you know, the nationalism that's going on right now. And then um, I read an interview on c- Comic-Con.com with Ollie McNamee. McNamee. Did you read that as well? Absolutely. You did? <laughs> yeah. um, where he talked about, about the it. mummy. Yeah, yeah. He's, I can read it right here. Yeah, yeah. My standard answer to this, talking about nationalism and how Kieran Gillen said, He's, he definitely sees that reflected in the story, but that this really could have been written at any time. Right. He says, my standard answer to that is about a decade ago, I was watching The Mummy and wondering if there's any way to do something that scratched the Indiana Jones adventure itch while sidestepping the worst of the colonialism inherent in turning the founding legends of another culture into monsters. I instantly thought, do it with King Arthur and the rest cascaded out quickly. Yeah. I mean, first of all, Mummy, one of my favorite movies ever. Of all time. So we don't watch it enough for how much I love that movie. That's true. We just don't. Um, it's Because do we own it? Absolutely. A digital copy? Yeah. Yes, do. I don't know why I don't turn it on anytime I'm wondering what I what I should watch because it's, it's up there for me. But it was just like a fun reveal too for how the, the things intertwined and you don't have to be um, knowledgeable about Arthurian legend really um, to get the story and to enjoy what's happening and to, to kind of piece together the stuff. Uh, I, I want to talk about some of the stuff in the second volume with you too. <laughs> I guess we should have covered uh, yeah, you know, that uh, before we sat down to record. I, right. could, I could have read it today. Yeah. I mean, basically it's, they are resurrecting a, a group of people wants to resurrect King Arthur uh, told as he would come at the darkest hour. Yeah. And whether there's some question about whether it was to, to, to save them from the darkest hour of his coming brought, brought the, the darkest um, hour. The with dark, him. Yeah. yeah. And which I thought was great. I thought that was clever it's too. pretty, um, pretty clear which one it is right away. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, he is, uh, he's not there to do great things. Tricky prophecies. Yeah. Yeah. And they have all the, I thought one of the really clever things about the first volume that I read was how they kind of introduce the, the Knights of Arthur as archetypes that kind of pass down and can right. be built into the people story. no matter what generation they are. Mm-hmm. And they fit into the story in a certain way. Uh, I thought that was really good. And I mean, I just kind of have such an affinity for stories about stories, you know, that's just a huge thing for me or stories about storytelling, I don't know why, but I'm just kind of drawn to those things. Like a lot of Neil Gaiman's work fits into that for me. And so this was just so fun for me. 
And yeah. I just found myself like spending a lot of extra time looking at the panels. And yeah, I, I just, it made me really happy. I, I definitely recommend it. Yeah. I like the little, the trio of the kind of the hero team, right? Gran right. and uh, her grandson, Duncan, and, and his uh, failed blind date, Rose, or <laughs> whatever <laughs> this, the PhD and in history. And yeah, and there's I like a little they, bit of like fate involved in this too, yeah. right? You know, it's I like the little drops of uh that they put in there of like the the framework of this kind of secret cabal that is in the background like, "Oh, you're the you're the new history person for this uh what what do they call it? Questing beast yeah, yeah. for the quest and uh you know, don't worry about cleaning those dead bodies up. We got somebody to yeah. call to come and do that." And uh, I don't know. I'm ready for the um Young Grand prequel series. Is there one? No, no. I'm, I'm saying oh. I'm calling for that right now. <laughs> I was like so, so excited. I really like the character, second. right? Yeah, she's great. She's got great hair. Yeah. I mean, like. It really does. <laughs> um, I just, I mean, it's whimsical and like adventure and excitement and just, I mean, the questing beast stuff is so cool because that's like. Something you really don't hear a lot about. The stomach on you know? the questing piece is really something. Yeah, it's full of uh, a bunch of dogs. Yeah, never yeah. seen that before. <laughs> well, I guess you don't read a lot of story stories. <laughs> and then the first volume ends on a kind of a cliffhanger with, with Merlin being introduced. I'm, I'm sure I'll get some more of that. But yes. I don't know. The last time I saw so much uh, Arthurian legend, I was watching Transformers. <laughs> Remember that one? <laughs> Nice pull. Um, this did make me want to go back and actually finish reading the Once and Future King that I had never finished. I owned it. I mean, I don't even, it could still be in, it's probably not in our, I probably got rid of it when we did the purge. Maybe. But, um, you know, it's, it's a good one. Yeah. 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 It was, it was definitely uh, highly recommend. Yeah. Did you have anything else? No. All right. We'll wrap it up then. And uh, that'll be it. Yeah. It was fun. It was smart. We liked it. Yeah, we really, really liked it.